How are we all? Warm enough? No. No? Be one with the cold. Um, I do have a talk prepared for today, but there's a couple of things going through my mind. One was um, the, um, the musical I saw on Friday night, Into the Woods, and the other thing was the, the uncertain times we're now all living in following Britain voting to leave the European Union. So, I mean, the, uh, the truth is reality is always uncertain, isn't it? I mean, we live very uh, lives of contingency and chance. And um, in, the, uh, in the Into the Woods musical, I, uh, I, I felt that, they, uh, that sense of um, um, chance or um, how things can sometimes fall apart. Uh, um, was represented by this uh, giant, the female giant, because um, Jack had killed the, the male giant and the, the wife was very upset about that. So the female giant came down the beanstalk trying to find the person who killed her husband. And in the musical, this is like this big noise, boom, as her foot smashes down on the house. And um, so in, the, in that sense, you know, the... Uh, when things happen, like the global financial crisis or events in the world, which often, you know, in this relatively safe country we live in, we're often immune from or protected from. And, um, but we're not really, because we're every, 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 every person, everything, every being, all of existence is interconnected. And, in Buddhism, of course, you know, we have this, this, um, you know, this understanding of suffering, how suffering arises inevitably as part of human existence by um, trying to cling to permanence when there's nothing that's permanent and um, including no permanent self. And, um, you know, hence we, you know, we try and build walls and keep ourselves safe and build castles and do this and that. And uh, no matter what we can, no matter what we do, you know, our lives are always uh, uncertain and uh, can end at any moment. The other, the other theme from the Into the Woods movie, uh, not movie, the, the, the play I saw was, um, you know, and the other common form of suffering which arises uh, when. Um, like you know the the fairy tale prince who's agonizingly in love with the unobtainable you know Rapunzel who's letting you know with the who lets down her hair and um, of course once the once the unobtainable desirable object has been obtained what happens he loses interest <laughs> and goes on to the next uh, desirable object and so on and so on and so on. And uh, 
all the various ways we play that out in our own lives. It might not be a, a blonde-haired damsel in the tower, but it might be something else that we, we, uh, we fantasize about and desire and uh, spend our lives trying to achieve. Of course, in Zen practice, that becomes enlightenment, some, some version of that, that uh, once we, we become enlightened, then all our problems will be ended. And, uh, I just have to disenlighten you about that notion. It doesn't work like that. Um, you've probably heard the story about the 84th problem, uh, when, the, when the, the Buddha was talking to the farmer, and the farmer was complaining about all the various things that were going wrong in his life, you know, his wife didn't keep the house clean and tidy, and his son was lazy, and there was never enough rain, and etc., etc., etc. And the Buddha said, well, I can't help you with any of those problems, but I can help you with the 84th problem. I thought, well, what's the 84th problem? I have the belief that you'll never have any problems. <laughs> the farmer didn't want to hear that. <clears throat> so of course, so I mean, so in this in 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 this life of uncertainty and chance, and what's the only thing we can be? What's the only thing we can depend upon? Change. Change. Yeah. The only thing we can really depend upon is um, this moment is just going to be exactly like this moment is. Of course, yes. The only permanent thing is change. And the only place we can ever be is now, and here. There is a sense in which the, uh, you know, we, we talk in, in, in Buddhism often of, um, of conditions and, uh, and, uh, the arising and, and, the, and, the, and the passing away of, of suffering. Suffering is not permanent necessarily, neither. And um, how we, um, what are the conditions that, uh, uh, especially in our mind, that, that, that creates and maintains suffering? And what are the conditions that bring suffering or bring freedom from suffering? And, uh, and this is our, what our practice is all about. This is what we have to investigate for ourselves. Um, and remember, when I talk about suffering, we, I'm talking really about the, 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 the self-centered, ego-driven forms of suffering that uh, we put on top of what you might call um, uh, just uh, the natural sort of pain of life that everyone experiences that um, uh, we can make a problem out of that as well. I mean, we, we can resist and uh, put another layer of suffering on top of the pain we may be experiencing. Um, so we have to pay attention to that as well. So, um, in many ways, uh, and it's a metaphor that um, um, has been used sometimes to describe the process of, of, of Zazen, is a metaphor of alchemy. 
And uh, for um, all you alchemists here, you would remember that uh, in the days of alchemy, the idea was to um, uh, that the base metal would be transmuted or transformed in some way into gold. And um, so in, in our Zen practice, the, uh, the base metal, if you like, is our suffering. And our suffering is transformed into compassion. Compassion for self and others. Uh, that, that's the core of our practice, to, to transform our suffering into compassion. One of the uh, Buddhist metaphors for that is the, uh, the lotus in muddy water. How we always live our lives in muddy water, muddy water being the suffering, and the, the transformation of the suffering through our practice creates the lotus. Compassion. And um, the practice of Zazen uh, is like the, the alchemical crucible or container. And um, the, uh, the flame is the flame of our attention. And um, in, a, uh, in our daily lives, we, we commit ourselves to maintaining a, a daily practice. So we want to keep that flame going. We don't want that flame to go out by tending to it. Tend the flame, keep the attention going on a daily basis. And one of the best ways of doing that is through committing to sitting at least once a day. <clears throat> and then uh, when we life presents us with an opportunity to extend that in some way, either on our own or when we come together as a community of practitioners in a retreat. So coming along to a half day or a one day or a few more days, um, allows us to actually um, you know, tend that flame and keep that flame burning a little bit more intensely for a period of time and uh, to, to uh, you know, burn up and transform a bit more of our suffering. So Zazen is a wonderful opportunity uh, through our, the, uh, the practice of attention or witnessing, witnessing the way in which uh, suffering arises and how suffering passes away and how the, the flower of compassion arises. And um, I practice, as most of you would know too, as a social worker and therapist and probably the, 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 the key link between the two practices is self-compassion. Uh, so in Zen we wanted to cultivate self-compassion um, and also in my therapy practice that's very important for me to introduce that notion to people I meet with, including myself. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I, many people talk to me about um, various forms of feeling overwhelmed by the suffering in the world. Um, whether that's within their own family or whether that's uh, in the world in general with all the violence in the world. And um, 
And I always say, you know, like it's really important to bring it right back down to, you know, we can't really teach other people, but if we can find some path to, for us to find some sense of happiness and compassion within ourselves, then we can become, you know, little islands of sanity and compassion. Uh, so that um, when we do, um, when we are confronted with suffering or with violence, that we don't react in ways to perpetuate and maintain the violence, that we actually respond in ways to de-escalate the violence. And, uh, we, teach, we teach through example in that way. So every one of us becomes a little island of compassion and sanity that goes out there in the world in our own little ways and people we meet with and interact with. We do our best not to harm our others or ourselves. Self-compassion leads to the ability to be compassionate towards others. If we are intensely suffering ourselves, it's very difficult to be there for others who are suffering. So it's really important to look after ourselves and practice compassion for ourselves. And, um, you know, we, we can, in our, in our Zazen practice, we can go very deeply in the sense of seeing how when we do our formal practice and uh, we, we, we sink below the level of, of the, you know, the thinking mind. Because um, it's the thinking mind that often gets us into problems. And uh, when, we, when we see that thoughts themselves are really, the only really become a, a reality when we believe them and then they can have real consequences on ourselves and others. But if we go below the level of thoughts and touch what we call the heart-mind, that sense of non-separation, just through our practice of meditation in the posture. Um, you know, if you sit for 20 minutes uh, or longer, there's, this, there's a sense in which um, we can touch that heart-mind. And, uh, and that, that awareness of that is not something we, we, can, we can sort of um, try and get to or um, it's, it's something that just just naturally arises. Uh, we can size in and doing a re retreat like that creates the conditions for that to arise. But we can't force it. Uh, it's not a means to an end, so, but it's um, but by, but by paying attention and by sitting still, um, that's, the, that's um, some of the best conditions for that to arise. So, um, one of the, um, um, the forms, suffering takes many forms, and in, 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 in Zen Buddhist practice there's a number of um, what you might call um, uh, guides or, or spotlights that are shed on this. They're called the precepts, and um, you could see them as the ethical part of the practice, um, ethical conduct. Uh, meditation and wisdom being the three sort of aspects of the path of Buddhism, how we conduct ourselves and how we speak to others, including ourselves. Um, and um, so there's a number of different precepts. 
uh, you know, ranging from you know focusing on on telling truth, on 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 stealing, on not killing, and uh, substance use, alcohol use. Um, and there's one that refers to anger, uh, and anger, hate, uh, and. Um, and uh, in our practice, it's about, in the precepts practice, it's about kind of like, you know, witnessing the, these kinds of uh, forms of suffering which arise in our own mind and which arise in other people around us. And uh, how we bring a sort of compassionate witnessing to those, to that suffering. And um, so anger is one that... Um, you know, most of us have some experience with, and um, and when whenever we are experiencing um, these forms of suffering, there's always a sense of separation that we've got caught into, and um, inevitably uh, the normal, you know, the the way we ordinarily experience ourselves and others is this sense of there's a me and there's a you, and there's um, you know, like in the Into the Woods uh, musical. When the catastrophe happened, everyone's blaming each other. You know, we always look for someone to blame, uh, attributing cause and effect to something which is external to us. And uh, whereas in, in, in our practice, the cause and effect we want to pay attention to is what's going on in our own mind. Um, you know, you hear people often, you know, I'll hear people often in my practice saying things like, um, I made him angry or she made me angry. And uh, it's that, 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 that's where we get caught in this sort of illusion of, of separateness, that uh, anger arises in us because of something that's external to us, that someone's done something that causes us to be angry. When from a, from a, from a, from a Buddhist absolute perspective, where everything is the sense of being one and interconnected, um, the... Uh, It's, it's, it's the, we can only transform that form of suffering by, by owning it ourselves. So, um, um, so when anger is arising in ourselves, um, it's really important to pay attention to, as best we can, to the actual judgments and thoughts and thinking process that's, that's fueling that anger. And uh, yet, see, sometimes it's true that uh, uh, these kinds of difficult emotions can arise unconsciously. Uh, they can be anger is a very complex emotion and it is related to all kinds of different conditions. And um, like all emotions, it arises from our you know evolutionary. Uh, our, our brains that have evolved over thousands and thousands of years. And um, like most of our emotions, anger is a, a, an emotion which, 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 has been, which is there to help us survive. And um, in a sense, one could, one could speak of a, of, of a life-affirming anger. But it's, it's pretty tricky. Um, but it's the way in which our, our, what we want to look in our practice is, is the way in which our anger gets caught up in our self-centered uh, preoccupations and uh, that includes our sense of pride as well and uh, how quickly um, we can be offended and how um, 
the, the sense in which anger can be seen as being a child of pride in that way. Um, and, um, or how anger can arise from a feeling of shame and how uh, we can have a, uh, get caught in the awful feeling of shame which can often trigger a sense of rage and uh, we get lost and, and, and we're gone in that. Um, it's a very, very difficult, um, uh, you know, the range of different um, conditions which where anger arises is what we have to investigate. Um, and um, when, we, when we're confronted with someone who may be angry with us, who's having a reaction towards us, that's often one of the most challenging times in our practice. Uh, because uh, you know we can see how, as human beings, we you know emotion is very contagious, and um, you know when one baby cries, all the babies cry. When we we witness someone else crying, that the sadness that that tends to bring out an empathic response in us. Yeah? Um, but when we uh, when someone turns on us in anger, that that we feel threatened, so it tends to bring an angry, protective response back in us. So um, you know, I really would encourage you to uh, observe the, the conditions within our own minds and 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 the, and the context within which anger arises, and uh, when someone's um, responding to us with anger, see how the we very quickly move into a, a protective uh, uh, and, and often an angry, defensive place within ourselves. And the challenge is how, how can we how can we maintain an open heart or uh, a, an ability to respond in that way? Um, I, I, I think I've told this story before, but um, um, it wasn't. I don't think it was in this group. I think it was in the Promised Land group. But it's a um, an old Zen story about um, a, samurai, a samurai warrior, and um, and there was a once a powerful samurai warrior in Japan, and uh, he was a, a strong leader and very faithful to his country. And he would think of nothing about sacrificing his own life for his emperor or his country. As a warrior, he was used to battle and he had killed many men. But he began to wonder as he got older, was there, was there a heaven and, or a, and a hell? You know, even, in, even in Buddhism there are versions of heaven and hell that people would believe in. And um, so he wondered how he could get, get to heaven and stay out of hell. And, um, and he was also concerned by the fact that he had killed a, a lot of men in his lifetime. So he heard about the famous Zen master Hakuin, who I've talked about before. And he was told that Hakuin could teach him how to get to heaven. So he decided to travel you know, a long distance to go and meet him. After many days of gruesome travel over the mountains and rough terrain, he finally found the master. But when, he, when he saw the master, he was doubtful um, if he could help him because he just looked like a very simple peasant. And he, he, the, the warrior really wondered if this simple man could really authentically answer his question. But after travelling so far, he felt it was pointless to go back without asking the question. So um, he approached Hakuin and he, he asked him, indeed, was there a heaven and a hell? And if so, how could he get to heaven and avoid hell? 
Master Hakuin, being a very wise man, answered the question in a way the warrior would never forget. So Master Hakuin replied, Who are you? This question, actually, who are you, is, a, is, a well, is, a, is a, one of the central koans in Zen practice. Uh, often taken up as a meditation object, just asking yourself the question, who am I, or who is hearing this sound, who is breathing? It's a, it's a very nice question to investigate. So that question, who are you, is a very, very, very central Zen question. Um, anyway, the warrior replied, because um, you know, he wasn't that familiar with Zen, um, I am the chief samurai warrior of Japan. Sounds like me, you know, saying to, um, um, you know, Malcolm Turnbull, who are you? And so, well, I'm the Prime Minister of Australia, and da 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 da. How we so often go to our identities, um, often our occupations, that define who we are. But of course, that's not what Hakuin's getting there. So, um, so he replied, I'm the chief samurai warrior of Japan, and I work directly with the emperor. I am the leader of all samurai in Japan. So he's you know, full of pride in his accomplishments in life. And so Hakuin just laughed at him and said, You, a warrior? You are nothing but talk. You couldn't save yourself, never mind our emperor. Don't waste my time, go away. Well, at this the warrior was deeply offended and was, of course, immediately very angry. So he drew his sword out, ready to kill this peasant man in front of him. But just before he struck Hakuin, Hakuin shouted, Stop! And continued, This is hell. And the warrior stopped. He put his sword back in his sheath. And Hakuin smiled as he said to the warrior, And this is heaven. So the samurai got the message and uh, understood how the anger, the conditions of his anger, how they're being created in his own mind and how anger and the experience of anger is a form of hell. And, um, and how when we come back to a more peaceful, compassionate frame of mind, it's a form of heaven. Um, so in our practice, it's um, you know it's the, this this idea of the mud or the idea of um, you know what is it that blocks you know our accessing our natural heart mind our natural mind of peace and compassion and joy and uh, and um, so in our practice we try and bear with, we you know we try and observe that in in in, in practicing zazen and bringing attention moment by moment to what's going on in our bodies and our minds we're cultivating that ability to observe and to witness that and the uh, sometimes there are little 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 techniques that can be used to to, to help that along like um uh, joker beck used to talk about labeling thoughts you know if that's helpful for you that's something that can be helpful you know you start start to get an idea of the kinds of common patterns and beliefs that come up in our minds and uh, 
and just giving them a little label, uh, or just even something as simple as judging, you know, just noticing the numerous amounts of time we may judge others or ourselves. And how will we struggle with these emotions, these difficult emotions, often you know, paying attention to how the anger can be directed towards ourself in the form of self-criticism, how we talk to ourselves, and, and then when we notice that, just, uh, just, just actually labeling, labeling, oh, judging again, stepping back from that, reconnecting with the breath, coming back to the body, coming back to our direct experience of just this moment. Um, if we can diffuse from the, from the judgmental thoughts in an angry re reaction and just rest in the body, the actual sensations of anger will quickly dissipate. And, um, you know, in this kind of posture which we practice in Zazen, this opening up the, the heart, the chest, um, you know, relaxing into the body, it's almost impossible to be angry. And um, you know, that, that sense of getting down below into just that, our thoughts, and into the, just that ability to be aware and to feel, and, and, and just to be really connected, to be present. And uh, because, you know, when someone says something to offend us, or sometimes they may do something which triggers maybe some also you know the, the various ways in which we've been hurt in the past it's the numerous emotional memories that we carry in our system and starting to recognize those patterns as they come up and um, and then starting to meet that reaction with a sense of empathy and compassion for ourselves and um, noticing our own suffering and turning towards our own suffering with that intention to, to soothe our souls, to, to comfort our souls. And, uh, and, then, and then, you know, doing, doing activities that can, whether it's listening to music or having a hot bath or going for a walk in the woods or whatever it might be, all the kinds of different ways we can nurture ourselves and how we can talk to ourselves with, with gentleness. And um, so cultivating, cultivating that. And uh, cultivating that self-compassion then leads to the compassion flowing towards others. And it's funny, like when we, when we, when someone is angry towards us, and after we've practiced that ability to observe what's happening, the reactions in our own minds, then we get much better at seeing another person and, and seeing them having these reactions going on and we get less personally involved. I mean, observation can feel impersonal, but like, the, the thing is though, that, that taking the, the, the personal out of it, um, it, it, it's not cold. It actually cre it creates that warm feeling and a, and a joyful feeling and a sense of, that person is really no different to me. You know, their suffering is my suffering my compassion is their compassion. And, um, and so we become, uh, and when we don't react angrily to someone who's angry at us, it kind of sometimes stops people in their tracks. And, uh, and uh, 
And then they start to reflect on that a little bit. They develop the ability to uh, actually, uh, they may, they may you know, think about it and reflect on their, their anger as well. So it's that sense in which we are constantly coming off our meditation cushions, coming down from the mountain, back into the marketplace of everyday life, where we bring our eyes in practice into that everyday life. And, uh, and that's really, Zazen is not an isolative practice. It's not, even though you, know, you get those stories about the hermit monks and so on, but like it's not an isolated practice. It's about bringing this treasure back into our relationships. And, um, and the best way of um, getting feedback about our practices. How do we show up to other people? Do other people notice any difference? Uh, I mean, that's what Joko used to often say to her students when a student would come and, and report some um, beautiful experience, opening experience they'd had in the meditation retreat and uh, how blissful they felt. Or, and, uh, and, but she said, look, I'm not interested in that. Um, what difference has it made in, in your everyday life? You know, has that made any difference in how you're in the how you are at the office? Has it made any difference to how you are at home with your husband or your wife or your, or your partner? So that's um, any questions about that? Okay, um, we'll just leave it at that for today.